Oh, welcome to the Keen Lake Podcast, the Premier Whiskey Podcast, now with the mention of whiskey in its title. We are live here today at the Beer Cellar to celebrate World Whiskey Day and our extravaganza to a live studio audience. Calm down, guys. I know you're getting a little rowdy over there, but we also have some great people to join us all day long here on the great Zoom link of what we put out to 50 people who won tasting kits. And that's all of you guys right here looking at me right in the face. With me today is Wilson Torres. Hey, young world. And a special co-host, Chris Blantner. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited for the day. The Urban Bourbonist on Instagram, if you don't know that already. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm Jake, by the way. Uh, I started the Keen Late podcast just a little over three years ago. I'm just making sure. Can you guys still hear me? Good. Okay, cool. We had a, a little bit of an issue with Facebook um, when the live stream. But yeah, we started the podcast a little over three years ago to tell really the story behind the label um, when it comes to the whiskey industry. We wanted to make sure that we had distillers, makers, people who influenced the bottle, the whiskey inside the bottle in any capacity, telling their stories behind there. We've been doing it for about three years and we love whiskey spelled both ways here. Um, and that's why today we're celebrating brands all across the world that spell it with an E or spell it with a, just a Y. And we have brands uh, from the US and then also from Scotland and from Ireland. Um, one reason we wanted to start the podcast too was just kind of to, you know, have fun show a new perspective of the story. Um, we get our namesake key in the lake from a quote I would like to share with you from George Aid's book. Uh, it was a pre-prohibition book um, that was published quite some time ago. Uh, it was called The Old Time Saloon. And it goes like this. One of, the, uh, one of the most familiar statements in the playful circulation was the effect that when a drink parlor was opened anywhere in the loop, the proprietor went over and threw the key into the lake. The more famous hangouts had not been closed for a single minute for years and years. The loop that George Aid was referring to was the loop here in Chicago. We're from Chicago. We're based in Chicago. We love Chicago. We love telling the story of distilleries and distillers um, all throughout the whiskey industry here in Chicago. And we also love the debauchery that whiskey you know, it kind of brings along with it a little bit there too. <laughs> Just a little bit. And that's what that quote was referring to. But we also love the romanticism, romanticism of uh, whiskey, you know, the hum of the machines, the distillery, the smell of a mash being there, mm -hmm. all the romantic elements that go inside of creating whiskey. So today we're kind of raising the glass to all these great distilleries all across the country um, and all across the world, not just uh, in sheer impurity, <laughs> but also in delightful community. Um, and as my grandpa always said, as we said in the live stream or our Instagram live just a minute ago, when you have a great whiskey or when you have great people, you always have great whiskey. So today, uh, raise a toast to you guys for being here, hanging out with us and hanging out with all of our great distillers, which uh, I think brings us to our first guest today, Wilson. Yes, it does. It brings us to a real special, special person. Um, we were able to really entice her to become queen or one of the queens of the castle down in Frankfurt, Kentucky. Um, we, we call her V, but she is VC to a lot of you and Val to some, many more of you. But for those of you who have yet to meet her, Val Colella, a Italian stallion, if I may, wow. wearing a you know barber I like from the, uh, the finest, I feel, shop in Kentucky when it comes to taking home goods from your distillery tours. Val Colella, our national brand ambassador and our single barrel specialist who uh, just joined us right before, um, right, right into the new year, if I remember correctly, right, Val? Yeah, big change, big change for the new year. So very excited <laughs> yeah. to so, um, convince yeah. you guys to give me a yep. So Val will be uh, taking us on a, a little bit of a uh, tasting and um, historical verbal tour, if you will, uh, mm. while we sip on your first um, 
sample, which obviously is marked with our phenomenal CK logo. Um, hopefully all of you received it intact. I think one or maybe two people, sadly, um, did not receive it intact. So I apologize to you. But if you guys would, those two individuals, send me um, your information again via the uh, my Instagram at 312made, and I'll make sure you get a nice little replacement bottle and a, and a nice little extra consolation prize, if you will. That being said, Val, welcome. And uh, the floor is yours. Wow, thank you. What an, what an intro. I I'm going to try my best to not to not to follow that and not let you down there, Wilson. Um, no, I wanted to thank you all. Thank you so much. Um, I've really been looking forward to um, to joining you all on this and um, really excited. I'll be with Wilson. Uh, when is that? A couple of weeks, huh? Couple Vis weeks, yeah. Chi-town, yes. Chicago. So um, Chicago. Very, very much looking forward to getting to know folks in that market and, and seeing how I can help. Um, but um really excited to talk about all the amazing things that are happening over at Castle and Key. And thank you all so much for signing on with us. Um, so we got a pretty sizable group here. Um, so again, thank you all for joining. Um, and I believe we're on here batch, person. batch two, huh? <laughs> Say it again. Oh, nothing. We used to have millions of people here in person too. So. <laughs> oh, great. Great. I love it. <laughs> Technology is amazing for that. Um, well, I'm just, I'm curious. Um, I like to sort of just start by asking um, how many folks have actually been to the distillery roughly? It's okay if you're on mute, feel like you could raise your hands and just and go around and see. Oh, wow. That's okay. It's a pretty good, pretty good sizable number. Wilson, I know you've been there. Well, um, for those of you who have not been to the site, um, I would encourage you to do a Google search on the Old Taylor Distillery. Um, so um, the scope and scale of that, sorry. No, it's fine. It's the real noises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on, guys. Sorry. Yeah, it's like a working distillery. No, don't worry about it. Live from Castling yeah. No, and we... I think all four of us here have a very uh, personal relationship with Castle and Key that goes way back. So we're excited to have uh, Val here to hear a different perspective of Castle and Key and not just Wilson's. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really fun. Well, I guess I should really start before I jump into the distillery portion. I'm actually tell you a little bit about myself. We have, we have a yeah. couple minutes. So, um, so a little bit about me born and raised um, Brooklyn, New York, um, grew up in New York my whole life. Uh, left New York by way of West Virginia. The old joke, you move for love, and I ended up staying for whiskey. So I started with uh, Smooth Ambler in 2014. I was with them for like eight wonderful years. And it was really um, what a unique opportunity to be with a small craft brand um, and to see all of those triumphs and struggles and just to see that side of um, see that side of the business and, and certainly be, be proud of what was done in that time. And um, I, I, I uh, had some friends over here and kind of kind of got the itch and started thinking about Kentucky. And I called Brett Connors, who's our lead master blender. And I said, hey, man, are there, are there any opportunities per se for us? Uh, is there anything in the stars? And he said, well, if you get here, I could I can put you in front of some people. So just get down here. And I was lucky enough to um, he made an offer soon after. And then they said, well, hey, we're going to launch this bourbon program first bourbon distilled on site in over five decades. Are you interested? And I said, does it bear shit in the woods guys? Let's go. <laughs> so um, I had to get down here real quick. So they actually put me up while I was selling my house. They put me up on site. So I actually live at the yeah. distillery, which is pretty that's cool. cool. Wow. Yeah. That's nice. very cool. Yeah. I smell the mash every morning. I see Rick house B. I smell it. I smell oh. like the, the barrels in the morning. It's just like, 
uh, I have to pinch myself sometimes and remind myself of this life I'm living. So anyway, very passionate about whiskey. Uh, I like to joke I'm a professional enabler. Uh, <laughs> that's really on my card, but I really just love being passionate about whiskey. And I love it when other people are passionate about whiskey and, and those two worlds come together. So a little bit about me. Yeah. Where, where does that passion come from for you, Val? Like, did you just, um, you know, taste whiskey at one point in your life and you were just like, I need to be involved in this or, you know, where does, where does it all come from? That's a great question. I, honestly, I think just like any sensible bartender, I never really appreciated it. And, uh, really thank Jameson for paying most of my way through Manhattan. <laughs> uh, you know, I just made such a good living off, off of Jameson. Um, but I think, I think it wasn't until I got involved in the craft scene that I really started to see not only like the passion and, and the time and the craft and all the things that make the end result so special, but like there's a real community when it comes to whiskey. And that's the thing that blew me away. Cause it was, you know, I was in a new place. I had never lived in West Virginia before, and not only the whiskey community, but just, you know, the industry itself, it's, it's actually a lot smaller than I think we think it is. And um, I was just very taken back by how welcomed I was and, you know, people offering resources and knowledge and passion. And I lend, I lend a lot of that gratitude and, and my own growth to, to that, you know, that sort of hospitality. So um, I think that's the thing that makes me most excited about it. And every day that I'm on the road or every day I'm at the distillery, I'm continuing to like build like these, um, these like passionate friends who um, walk away feeling like they're a part of this too. Right. And that to me is kind of exciting. Definitely. And I know Castle and Key has been a long awaited brand for many people out there in the American whiskey world or drinkers out there waiting for this. What's the response you've seen for uh, the public so far? Oh, just overwhelming excitement. I mean, there are folks here that have seen the distillery, you know, either locally or had visited in the, in the early 2000s or, or even prior to that, just seen it in complete disrepair and are so happy and proud that it has come back and that we're, we're able to do the things that we're doing now. Um, and I'm not sure if, if there's a if there's a kind of a heads up on the history, but I can, I can go through a little bit of that with y'all if you want. Was just going to ask you to do that for people who might not know. Yeah, sure. Um, it's incredible. There's over a hundred years of, um, you know, not only um, Taylor distillery, but bourbon heritage history here as well. I mean, it's a heritage site. It's it, it, if you have never been to site and you do a Google search, the scope and scale to still not register. It's like being at the grand Canyon. You can take as many beautiful pictures as you want, but until you see it for yourself, it's just the property and the inception. Um, you know, it's just, is a culmination of, uh, culmination of Taylor's vision. Um, the Colonel E. H. Taylor, which many people know, he founded the site in 1887 and it was supposed to be of a culmination of his life work. Um, you know, it, he not only designed it to be uh, the first destination distillery in the world, but um, his goal was also, also to make really, really high quality bourbon, which at the time, you know, whiskey was viewed as a, as a lesser spirit uh, than, than, you know, next to cognacs or, you know, things like that. So he saw not only a marketing opportunity, but an opportunity to elevate that spirit. So um, he was very inspired by European architecture um, and traveled to Europe quite a bit. So um, when he started construction, uh, he said, you know, we should have a castle 
and some English gardens and, and hell, throw in 150,000 gallon limestone um, spring house in the shape of a key, uh, opulent and, and grand. And, and he said, you know, the key to good bourbon is, is good water. And so um, we thank him for over hundred years later for those brilliant, you know, little marketing plugs, but they really planted the seed for what would become Castle and Key paying homage to him by way of doing everything the right way, not sourcing, crafting with care, um, as much local grain as we can procure, white corn in our bourbon mash bills, which is something he did. Um, also, uh, hopefully moving forward this time next year, we'll have some bottle and bond. Um, we're working really hard on that and uh, some other really good, good goodies coming out. Um, but really just um, for us, it was, it was to be able to um, really like pay homage to the past and, and sort of reinvent the future. Yeah, I love that. And that was one of the things that made me kind of fall in love with the idea of Castle and Key before the whiskey was even out in the market was just honoring that past and tradition. And like you said, doing things the right way. And this is something that, uh, you know, to Val's point about the culmination of what he had a vision of and then bringing it to life and our opportunity to restore it and finish that vision and bring it to life, I think is speaks volumes for a lot less. And I hate to use the, the, the you know, the use money in this conversation because it's not about that. But a lot of other distilleries right now are pumping billions of dollars into making their distilleries a one-stop come here destination where Colonel Taylor had this already in his mind. And he that's what plan he put together and what we've been able to restore and again, uh, bring to life. So this is something that's, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel as I like to say, but we are restoring it and we restored it to a gleam that is like no other. By the way, for anyone who doesn't know, Wilson is a brand new market manager for Castle and Key. You probably should have started with that. <laughs> probably should <laughs> So It's that, not about me today. That's, it's about that's why he knows a lot about the, That's why we're saying he's saying weave with that. Um, <laughs> just for anyone who didn't know, I'm sure most people on this uh, Zoom do know that uh, Wilson is famed for being a Castle and Key market manager. Is that the correct title? It is a market manager. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Savior of whiskey. Uh, well, no, I wouldn't say savior. <laughs> I like to use the word czar, but I'm not going to go there. Uh, let's not go there. Val, <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the first time you heard about Castle and Key? I do, actually. I I was talking to my friend Chad Huffman, and we were doing, I think they were doing a barrel pick, and just like any good friend in the industry, I was like, hey, can I get on that? And so like, I had piggybacked on it. And uh, I think I was only with Smooth Ambler like a year. So I was still like, you know, super green, new car smell baby. And um, I met Brett Connors through, uh, through Chad. And he said, well, my friend Brett's going to maybe do a walkthrough through Castle and Key. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I not heard of it. And so we walked through in the early days where, mm, yeah. you know, there was still no plumbing. I think they had routed some electricity. They had, they were making use out of the main office, but everything was still so raw and just beautiful in its ruin. Like you would walk through um, what's now kind of like um, the main production alley on either side of the, you know, the, the, the original bottling building that now is like completely fallen in and, you know, the current operating bottling room to the side. And there was just like weeds and vines and overgrowth and just, I could see it. I, I felt like I was walking through an episode of like the walking dead, just like yeah. there was a safe word. It was really, really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. And it was, it was just like, I saw, I was like bewildered by the yeah. beauty of it in its rawest form. 
And it's, I just think it's a really romantic idea. I know romantic is kind of a, a silly word to throw around because, you know, I'm not a money person, but <laughs> I, I could see what it could be then. And then to have this opportunity, God, almost 10 years later to come around. I almost feel guilty coming on when I did, because I feel like, you know, I wasn't scrubbing the latrines up to my elbows, but uh, <laughs> I like to think I'm doing some, some of the heavy, you know, dirty work now or try anyway, but um They've done just a beautiful job and it, it left its mark on me. And I think we all can go through like life and there'll be a distillery or two that kind of like hooks you, you know, and, and yeah. you root for them and, you know, they're doing things the right way or they're, you know, they're honest or they're trying to position themselves as non-heritage and disruptors or craft or whatever it is. And you just think like, those guys are cool. I want to know where they're going to be in five years. So that's, that's what happened to me. I got like hooked immediately. I think it's happened with so many people who are fans of Castle and Key just through the documentary Neat to begin with for most people not having the experience of actually going and walking the grounds, but seeing what they're laying down as a foundation uh, through that documentary. And that's kind of where both Wilson and I started mm-hmm. to get gain a lot of interest and fall in love, I think, with uh, the whiskey before there even was any whiskey out in the market, yeah. which leads us into what we're drinking. Yeah, let's do what, that. Yeah, let's talk about a little <laughs> bit of that rye um, as we kind of, uh, yeah, wind down here with the interview number one of the day. Yeah, first one. Well, yeah. So, uh, Wilson, take yes. us, take us into what we're drinking. Yeah. So we are going to be sipping. We're, I, th- I feel we do a phenomenal job with the five senses, but you know, without having to go too much into this, I mean, just alone, if you've not seen a bottle and I apologize if you haven't and in your markets, we're soon working really hard on that, but we have such a beautiful, beautiful bottle. I think it, it's, um, it's sturdy. It's, it's, um, it's sexy. It's, it really does pay homage to what the stylistic, um, views were and what was in taste then. And then what we threw in a little bit of extra little small little details, everything is about the details, but aside from that within the bottle, we have 2021's batch two, which is a 63% rye, 17% yellow corn, 20% malted barley, which I feel is the caveat in this, is the star of the show personally in this whiskey. Um, Val, if you can speak more to the what we're tasting and smelling, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, this is this is the part where, um, you know, I've, I've really made sure that I put the work in on the drinking side. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, one, one thing to add to Wilson's really great point, too, is that there are a couple of really beautiful little Easter eggs on the bottle. And, and if you've been on site, then it will kind of make sense. And if you haven't, I'm the real whiskey woman on Instagram and or get with Wilson, get my info. If you're going to be in Kentucky, would love to show you around if I have time. would love to do that myself. Um, but if you look at the top of the bottle, there's like this beautiful rotunda. That's actually the top of our spring house. So really nice nod to um, the key portion of the key in the castle. And um, also on the front, we have a year badge. So one thing that's really cool about what we do here is that every batch, instead of being blended for consistency and profile, we blend them for uniqueness. So we take a winemaker's approach to both our bourbons and our whiskeys, which I think is really cool because one thing we all know, right? Um, Women and men, Women have incredible palettes. We're advanced in a lot of ways, right, ladies? But yeah, that's true. Right? But like, honestly, every palette is super different. Every palette is going to pick up different things. So it didn't make sense to us when we were when we were thinking about how to formulate these blends to like constrain them, force them into a box, let these young whiskeys shine, let them go where they want, let them play to their strengths. So that is pretty cool. Um, so what I got off of the um, 
the batch two in particular on the aroma, just a lot of like light floral, like stone fruit, honey. And then there's almost like a, like a cherry toasted oak. Um, just really pleasant. And the one thing to Wilson's point too, because we do a lower rye um, percentage on the mash bill, I think we get a more delicate floral profile. So we don't have those typical like super punchy, just like explosively spicy cracked pepper yeah. rye. Um, so again, I've, I've been told, oh my gosh, I didn't expect this to taste like this. It's so light or it's so delicate. And I think it's almost like a, um, like a, like a gateway, almost like a, a bourbon drinker's rye. So we find like, it's actually helping people come on to whiskey, uh, which I think is really cool. Cause anytime you can empower someone through whiskey, I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, so, and then on the, on the, on the nose, excuse me, on the palate, I get a little bit of like our traditional profile. It's a little bit like golden raisin, baking spices, nutmeg. And it's just got a really slightly sweet, slightly dry finish, medium body. It's just a, it's super easy pleaser. And I think this one comes in at like 104 proof. Yeah. Um, and the other really nice thing that I think is cool to point out before I take it back to Senor Wilson, is that um, these are truly small batches. So, you know, when heritage brands tell you something is small batch, um, what they spill in a day is probably what we make in like two years, right? right, right so right. just for scale, it's interesting <laughs> to think about, like when we say small batch, it's small batch. It's small batch. Um, so on average, 70 to 80 barrels per batch. So something cool to think there. Everything is, every batch I should say is going to be completely unique. I agree. And what's really cool too, that I found that in learning, continuously learning through everyone at Castle and Key is, and through the, pro, the production side, and Val, you can probably jump on this as, as well, is we're not far from batch strength. Um, we don't even have to add much to get it to the point where we feel this is unique in itself in this batch. I believe this particular batch too is only four or four and a half proof points off batch strength. So that alone shows you know, the quality of what we're doing and the, the strong attention to taste is what we're really now focusing on really comes through well in, in, all, in our batches thus far. Yeah, that's a great point, Wilson. And one also really cool thing to note is that all, you know, we are a distiller of choice. We're a contract distiller. You all probably know some of the folks we distill for. <laughs> I can't say it, but you know, you can <laughs> say it. We'll keep those names um, out of our mouths today. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you know, I just can't say it. You can say we're, it. We're big but fans. I, I am too. Um, so one cool thing is that um, while we contract distill and some of that product ages in um, Rickhouse E, which is the concrete building that was built by National in 1952, um, all of our products age in, uh, in traditional Rickhouse B, which is the oldest and uh, only surviving Rickhouse of its kind in the world, still built by Taylor. And it's two football field length long. It, they're not traditionally being modeled after that rickhouse anymore because they're not efficient to heat. And oh, excuse me, they're not efficient to age. Um, we've, we're finding swings all over the place. Like the first two floors were getting intense proof drops. Yeah. And uh, there's a ton of humidity down there. And we find as, you know, we go up to floors three, four, and five, there's incremental, you know, five, ten. Hold on one second. No, you're good. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. We're working. I hope you're, just yell I hope you're yelling at somebody. 
No, no. I hope oh, she didn't. No, no. Usually, she usually people yell at me. That's how it works around uh, here. Uh, she did it in town. I just tried to stay out of trouble. <laughs> but um, but it's really interesting when you think about um, Rickhouse being particular. Like we we can only look back ourselves at like six years or so of aging history, right? So we've been presented already with some really interesting challenges with those dr proof drops. What we found on um, the bourbon, for example, the traditional bourbon, you know, those similar 70, 80 batch blends of one and two. We're coming in at 98, 99 proof. So bottle and bond, that's a little bit of a challenge, right? We got to figure out how to get those proof points up. So we're, we're starting to adjust on putting a little bit of a higher entry proof on that moving forward and tweaking little things, but that's so exciting, right? We're like, yeah. we're like relearning history right. it, through our own eyes here. And um, I think that's the best part. Yeah, that's a great, cool. that's a great way to sum up. Like yeah. I think what Castle and Key is doing right now, like everything about the romance of Castle and Key, doing it right and just bringing back the history yeah. and giving re rebirth back or rebirthing or putting life back into that distillery yeah. and the transformation you're doing with it. It's so spot on. I know we're big fans of it. Obviously you are, <laughs> um, but been waiting for a long time for Castle and Key. Was so happy that one of my best friends became their ambassador here. And Val, it's even a lot better to have you here. I'm sorry you have to work with him every day um, in some capacity, I'm sure. <laughs> He's not that bad. He's okay. We talk. He's gonna right take now. me for some deep dish pizza in Chicago. Hey, I'll take you to some better pizza places when you're in town. So, <laughs> well, look, can I ask a quick question? Can we deviate from the serious one moment, please? Is it still pizza if you can't fold it? Oh, that's my my mind's how I live. Uh, my favorite pizza places in Chicago are all New York style joints. So. Well, okay. You just, well, and you know, if you, know, if you want to fold Chicago pizza, oh, yeah, if you man. want to fold something, go home, write yourself a note and fold it in half, or have a taco, or have a taco, or have a taco. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, come on now, pizza is pizza. Uh, we have our take of um, we have our take on pizza. I'll take and some tapas. Also style. historical, yeah. In that sense, I won't bore you. I'm gonna I'm guess this isn't the last time on pizza today. So yeah, we will yeah. we will have some tavern style, and then we'll have some deep dish for sure. Well, Val, we can't wait to have you here. Um, share a drink. I'm so excited to come visit y'all. I really, yeah. I really am. V, this is the first time we actually drank together. Oh, wow. That's true, actually. Yeah. This is our first drink together. Well, cheers to that. Cheers, I, to that. cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers, all. Cheers. Well, Val, appreciate it. Um, Wilson, thanks for setting this one up, obviously. Uh, Castle and Key is a great distillery. People go out there, search them out. Um, they're expanding all across the country, as Wilson was mentioning, uh, each and every day, it feels like. Yeah, we are right now distributed in 15 states. I'm personally covering Illinois, Wisconsin, Missouri, uh, soon to come. And um, we were out there as far west as Colorado, uh, Arizona. Then we own it in on the home states, Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, uh, the good people down in uh, Louisiana, Texas. Shout out to Philip Rose. Um, Billy Boy. I can go on and on and on. <laughs> and then big, big shout out, out to... Um, to red up in new york uh, based in brooklyn as well val's old stomping ground so we have many more double b uh, kevin shout out to everyone john on the rocks big g okay big cool. Biffy. Big Biffy. <laughs> uh, thanks val. Val, thank you so on. much um yeah we're gonna try to stand schedule today yeah, so we'll go we're to the try. next one but uh, val thank you so much can't wait to meet you in person rock on have guys day. have fun let's the rest of your carbs. Time. let's go eat some carbs and drink some carbs let's oh, do it man drink them and we, we can fulfill that request. Hi, Thank up. you so much. See you, Val. Bye. Awesome. Well, what a great way to start off the day. I know, right? Told you. She's so much better than you. I know. Oh, man. God, I know. So much better than we, you. It's always nice to start off with, you know, uh, uh, seriously, Val is, I have yet to meet her in person, but what's what I'm really excited about is that we've we've had this really cool connection already via just Instagram and our in our team calls, and then um, the, and then um, 
and the rest of the team, we just, we all have our, uh, an extreme pool of talent and we all have strengths in that same pool, but it's like, it all really does just wade around that little pool really well together. And I'm really looking forward to continuously working with Val and, and then um, her helping me, you know, helping us get the word out even better than what we're able to do per market right now. Just one person by themselves <laughs> i hear you on that um 60 pound pack on his back i think sweating i think we have a guy who does the same thing coming up next year <laughs> uh i no, see dom's on with me. us um yeah so our next guest uh val thanks for being the first one to kick thanks, us off v. on world whiskey day My pleasure, guys. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna jump off and hit an industry group i appreciate you very much take yeah, care about appreciate anytime. you cheers to you be safe well fun way to start off the day um that way so we started off with some american whiskey with some yeah. rye um yeah. now we're moving across the world Nice. over into uh scotland and ireland with our next Ooh. couple of drinks um, with somebody who i'm so excited we have here <laughs> callum who is uh, part of the podcast one of the hosts of the key and late podcast set this one up for us he unfortunately couldn't make it today because he's wearing a kilt in miami at a wedding <laughs> but um you know we do what we can we bring chris in uh to back him up that way I'm happy to pinch it yeah um but dom Venegas, uh thank you for joining us today oh happy world whiskey day everybody it's a pleasure to be here i'm, hey, I'm happy i nice could to meet do you, this brother. Absolutely. Pleasure to meet. Pleasure to meet everybody. Absolutely. I, I, I feel like we've crossed paths somewhere in the world. Like as soon as sure. Callum said, I always, I'm like, oh, I always say we drink a lot, so we forget a lot. Um, That's very true. Yes. <laughs> we try our best, don't we? We do. We do. Yeah, but this is great. Us. I'm excited about this. This looks like a great group. I loved listening to the about Castle and Key. That was wonderful. Um, one of my favorite whiskeys, and I love the history of it. Yeah. So this is this is fun, and I love that uh, you know we can just discuss these great brands that I get to work with. Um, yeah. So excited to talk about Glenlivet and Green Spot. Awesome. I think we're gonna start off the Glenlivet first if we do that, but obviously cool. want to hear more about you. Um, you're the whiskey portfolio uh, ambassador, correct, for Pernod? Yeah, I am one of four. There's four of us around the country. I represent the West Coast. So here in California, I have eight states uh, coming from Alaska, Hawaii, Washington, Nevada, over to Kansas, Colorado, Arizona, and here, California. So nice little little uh, territory that we have. And then we have Jenna Murray, which does middle. She does the Midwest. And then down in Miami in the South, we have Rob Ferrara. And then in the great state of Texas, we have Simon Nicolian. So we have a nice little team. Yeah, we had Simon actually, on actually last year on World Whiskey Day. So, oh, and, and he's great. Simon, so Simon's cool. just a wonderful person and has great stories, and, and I just love listening to him talk. Um, but this actually is my sixth year this week with the brands. So it's uh, congratulations. I never thought I'd last this long. So this is very wonderful. <laughs> yeah, no, and I uh, I like to know why that is. <laughs> <laughs> and you get quite a story background with the whole bartending scene in San Francisco and also with New York too. Um, I think it's kind of where I first came across your name. I'm sure we've crossed paths somewhere with Whiskey Fest and drinking behind bars, as I mentioned. But yeah, what uh, kind of gets into a little bit what you were doing before you were an ambassador for Pernod? Well, before Pernod, I was uh, working at a bar in New York called the Nomad Hotel, um, and I opened Nomad in 2012 with one of the best teams that I've ever been a part of, um, and it was a very kind of a special time. I had originally started my career in San Francisco, actually Hawaii, but Hawaii really doesn't count because I was just a college bartender there. Um, <laughs> It took it, started taking it seriously in probably 2001 um, when I worked at a bar program that this gentleman, Tony Abuganam, had started. If you know Tony, great bartender from Las Vegas, opened the Bellagio. 
Um, and I came into this bar not knowing, you know, I know how to make drinks, but I didn't know the history and, and the style. And, you know, at the bar that we were working at at that time was called Bacar. And at the time in, in the United States, it was the biggest wine program in the country. We had a hundred wines by the glass. Uh, but we also had a very regimented cocktail program where we weren't even allowed to make lemon drops. We weren't allowed to make cosmopolitans. <laughs> we weren't allowed to make these <laughs> drinks that were kind of modern, very, very, you know, popular drinks at the time. But our guy that was leading the program was like, no, this is all classic cocktails. You're going to stir your martinis. You're going to stir your Manhattans. You know, before that, I was like, what? What do you mean <laughs> stir? Um, <laughs> so from that, I actually, you know, San Francisco was kind of kicking off. I had opened another bar in 2005 called Bourbon and Branch. Yeah. Uh, there was three of us that opened that bar. Um, and I had been at the time, I ran a, a wine and spirit shop called John Walker and Sons. And I did that since two, two, 2001 to until I moved to New York in 2011. Um, and it was a very storied place. In fact, the store was very historic because it was the store, the actual shop that launched Jack Daniels, um, mm. Patron, Stoli, all these brands for the West Coast, this little shop had started and they'd been around before Prohibition. So it was a, oh, wow. still owned wow. by the same family. So when I took over the program, I wanted to have kind of a shop that didn't have any other spirits that any shop in San Francisco had. So that's when we started bringing in like Black Maple Hill and yeah. all these great brands that were pretty small to most of the people and didn't know. So they would come into our shop for this kind of education. And so would the bartenders. So like we we were some of the first that used to carry Del Maguey and Fortaleza. And, you know, we'd bring in all these different bitters. I would people are like, why are you selling this stuff? My boss would be like, why are you selling this? None of it's going to sell. But it did sell because we had a lot of nerds that lived here in San Francisco. Still do. Yeah. Um and it kind of took off from Bourbon and Branch. I went and opened a few other bars in San Francisco. Um, the last bar that I opened that was kind of pretty big was Smuggler's Cove. Um, so got my, you know, I did the Tiki thing. I also worked at Trader Vic's a long time ago. So that was kind of when, and that's when I started working with Martin Kate. And so Martin had asked me, he's like, you want to come back to the rum world? And I was like, yeah, you know, I do, I do. But I told him also that I'm going to give you about 15 months because I don't want to be pigeonholed into the tiki world. You know, mm -hmm. I, I love being a bartender and I want to be well-rounded. I just don't want to be known as the tiki guy because tiki guy, that, nice. that's a whole different kind of thing that happens. Right. Um, in 2011, I kind of got, I, I wanted a little more challenge. So I moved to New York um, and in New York, I opened a couple of bars. One was Tipler, uh, which is mm -hmm. still there underneath yep. Chelsea market. Um, another one that's still there in Brooklyn is Basic. I opened Basic, uh, which is just a nice little neighborhood bar in Williamsburg. And then I was asked to join the team at Nomad. And that was probably the best thing that's happened to my career, uh, working with that team and doing all that. And during those working at bar, I still, I still was a bar, uh, brand ambassador. So I was a brand ambassador for Appleton Rum for a few years, um, working with their team and doing a lot of great stuff. And then I went over to work with the Bon Vivants for Ocho Tequila, um oh, wow. uh, we launched Ancho Reyes mm -hmm. uh we had Encanto Pisco we had a lot of different brands at that time we also had Ruta Gin um and I love that because I could still be a brand ambassador and I could still bartend and mm. I love bartending I didn't think I'd ever leave Nomad to be honest with you because it was you know in my career and through history of cocktails you know you read about Jerry Thomas you read about these famous hotel bartenders right yeah. but in San Francisco we had classic hotels but and no disrespect to anyone that works in a union bar, but they, they were really kind of lazy about like these beautiful places that they were working at. There was no like, there was no passion for passion. what they were doing. So 
when I moved to New York, I kind of got that vibe like, hey, there are places that are starting to open. And Nomad was one of the places that really wanted to take the cocktail and run with it. So I felt like, oh, yeah, this is it. I'm working at a, at a New York hotel bar. This is wonderful. It's got a great yeah. program. And I also was going to come back to California with them to open the Los Angeles um, hotel. And then Pernod came to me. And at that time with Pernod, my relationship with Pernod had gone back about 15 years working mm -hmm. with Plymouth, working with some other brands, doing part-time brand ambassador work. Um, and they had offered me a few jobs before then. They're like, you want to be the absolute ambassador? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely I don't. Not. And it, it's uh, just, yeah. it's nothing against absolute. I just wasn't a big, I'm not a big vodka guy. I don't drink vodka yeah. regularly. So I was like, ben no. Ben and then they're like, so do you want to be the Jameson ambassador? And I was like, no, I'm too old for that. I, you know, that's like shots every day. And no, it's uh -huh. like, and they're like, all right, well, we have a master of whiskey position. And I was like, there we go. I can do that, <laughs> you know? So and I, and at the point when I got hired, it was just for their scotch. So it was mainly Glenlivet, Aberlauer, Longmorn, Scapa, and then Chivas and Ballantines, mm. which was fantastic. Um, love those brands, still do love the history of it. And that was whole whole part of my brand ambassador background is I love to tell the history. I love to tell the stories. Um, you know, I was talking to someone last night about it because he was asking me about like, how did I get in this position? And I was like, well, there's bartenders that want to be bar owners, which is great. Fantastic. I'm like, and then there's some of us that still want to do education that still want to be involved with the bar, still help kind of the next generations come up and learn about it. And my generation coming up, we had a bunch of brand ambassadors that had never been behind the bar, didn't know how to make any drinks with whiskey, mm. didn't know what they were taught. They knew what they're talking about brand wise because they were hired by marketing firms. And most of them were like bottle models, as we called them. They mm -hmm. just were there. They were good looking people and they could tell mm. you about the brand. But yeah. I couldn't ask them, like, yeah. what cocktails can I make with this? What's the history of this? Why? Why is it the Highland style? What? What's the difference? You know, it would just it kind of through curves. So. When our team was hired, we were all hired at the same time. Uh, we all came from the cocktail world. And I think that it helped not only Pernod, but everyone like mm. just understand. And it was better for us to explain to people about our cocktails and our history. And, you know, especially with Glenlivet or Chivas, brands that have been around for a long time. And when we came in, people were like, ah, Glenlivet. I know what that tastes like. My grandfather drinks it. And I'm like, what, you don't like your grandfather? Your grandfather must have a great palate. <laughs> yeah. if he, you know, if, if he's storing these bottles away and doesn't let you yeah. touch them, you know, there's a reason why. But also, it's helping to under people to understand what they're drinking. And, you know, we all know about not just whiskey, but a lot of the spirits are based upon where they're where they're made and that area and how it tastes and the terroir and how the community was yeah. and what's going on around there. So this is what, what the big part was and, and most attractive to me to come to this job and kind of, you know, at, the, at first I was still based in New York. So um, I just did the East Coast. And after the first year, they came to us and said, hey, listen, you guys want the Irish whiskey portfolio? Uh, sure, let's do that. Because at that point, the Redbreast and still is Redbreast and the Spots are some of my favorite whiskeys, oh, yeah. mainly because of their history, because they precede all of this that we're drinking today. Uh, they're the reason that like this heavy whiskey is coming back. Um, but I love the style of how they went out of style. At, you know, 200 years ago, Jameson was ruling the world. You can drink it everywhere in the world. You can find it in Brazil. You yep. can find it in Australia. But it was a different kind of Jameson, right? When I tell people, I'm like, the Jameson that you're drinking today has only been made since 1975. Mm -hmm. That's not a long time ago. That's very, it's only been around for the last 47, 48 years that a blended whiskey has ruled Ireland. Before that, it was all about pot still. If John Jameson feel, was alive today and saw those 
stupid commercials. And I'm going <laughs> to get in trouble for saying this. But he, you know, he, he was a great, no great guy with time. But he loved his single pot still. It was all about that pot still, you know. So mm-hmm. now, you know, it's coming back, which I'm really excited about. And it's good to be a part of that. But now I also do, we also do the American whiskey. So we have a big portfolio. I have 16 different whiskeys right now that mm-hmm. I get to talk about. But it makes no day the same. <laughs> uh, so, so it's good. Well, you're getting a lot of love in the chat right now. Um, our good friend Mikey down in New Orleans, who's originally from the Bay Area, but he said he spent a lot of Christmas Eves at Bourbon and Branch. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm um, sorry. That kind of sounds sad. Though. No, I think spending Christmas No, no. Bar, it, it was a place that you, you would go to, especially like when Bourbon and Branch opened. It was something that had never been done in the Bay Area. You know, right. you had the bars in New York that were thriving and even, even in Chicago. Um, but that for right us, Chicago. it was great. Yeah. And so for us, uh, for San Francisco, it was, you know, every time I look back at it and people are like, do you ever go to Bourbon and Branch? I'm like, no, I never do. <laughs> I, I just, I never do unless I'm going during the day to do like an education. But at night I'm like, I just can't deal with the reservations and all of that. But the bar, that bar team is still, they just opened a beautiful bar called uh, the Bottle Pub Club, mm. which if you get a chance in San Francisco, be sure to stop by. They only pretty much do um, American whiskeys and they're using you know, the old decanters that used to find from Jim Beam, Old yeah. Forester, mm-hmm. the ceramics yeah. that they had, all kinds. So they have a, probably about 300 of them in the bar. Wow. And it's on a rotating back bar, which I've never seen in my life. So everyone just stands there mesmerized and watches the bar go uh-huh. up and That's down, cool. up yeah, and down. Yeah. It's all just one switch. I'm like, I want that old Forester. Five seconds later, <laughs> it's right wait, in front yeah. of them. So it. <laughs> it's, it's a cool little thing. But you know, San Diego I, has that too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Someone told me that, but I haven't seen it yet. But just Something seeing like, these, you're just... I, I saw it and you're mesmerized by it. You can't like focus on anything else. You're no, you can. Like back you're talking and you're like just like, room. wow, I need it's that like in my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what awoke all this obvious passion for spirits in general for you? Um, you know, it was working at that shop. You know, when I started, when I was working at Bacar, I got approached by the owners of the shop. They were my uh, guests the guy's like oh you really love talking about the spirit and it was because i was learning more about it and and that's when like more brand ambassadors were coming out and i would say some of the old guys like steve beal and i don't mean old guys by old guys but they've just been around for a long time doing in this industry he was they were kind of the inspiration of uh going the next step we had robin cooper as well and at that time robin was with ardbeg and uh you know the scottish guy coming to san francisco and he's like the ardbeg you ought to love the ardbeg and glenn morangy <laughs> and learning about that and at that point you still had all the master distillers doing tastings so my first like i tell people this i had two i remember i got a my boss had said hey listen you want to go to this lunch i don't want to go he didn't drink so he was like the jim beam's having a lunch you want to go to it and i'm like yeah sure i'll go so i go to this lunch and booker no is at this oh. lunch and i had no i mean i knew who bookers was because of the whiskey but i didn't know like his like just his history and his legend and fred was there as well right so i'm this young kid just like who are these guys you know and <laughs> sitting sitting with booker and learning about the kentucky chew and like firsthand yeah. sitting there with him and just being like wow this guy is amazing and like he taught me a lot and then i had another time when i have this gentleman named jim McEwen come into my store <laughs> and i have no idea who he is either and then he teaches me about brooke lottie and the bowmore history and teaching he i mean he's taught a lot of us how to taste and how to assess and uh just these people meeting them and like these are the actual people that make the whiskey and they're traveling all around the world and 
talking to you about, you know, things that I was like, ah, people just get drunk off of it. Right. So it kind of like shifted in me that like, listen, this is a serious thing. People really do pay attention to it because the other side of that shop was wine. And so here in, mm -hmm. in San Francisco, huge, you know, I got a lot of wine knowledge and I was really into it. So for me, it was all about the beverage. I mean, since then I've learned about like tea service, beer, um, coffee, everything. I mean, now like sodas, waters, I've taken classes with water sommeliers and that's just helped me understand my job a little better as far as like, even when it comes to the water that we source for our whiskeys, right? right. Their pH balances and all that stuff. So it's stuff that like, you know, people are like, you're such a nerd about it. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's not even like, I love it. It's not, this is my job and I'm so passionate about it, but it's the more I learn, the easier it is for me to share these stories that I get to do this, you know? So yeah, you know, nice. and, and I feel, I feel great still with the team that I'm on with like Glenn Livett, we have Alan Winchester, we have some really great distillers and blenders and, and that's, that's the other thing too. It's, it's sharing, like, it's not just about the master distiller. It's about a whole team at this distillery. It's about the blenders. It's about the areas that they're coming from. I don't know. There's just so much. I mean, I can ramble about this all day long. Oh, no. I mean, like all those unintentional encounters, I'm sure just kind of inspired you to kind of want to tell stories behind every single brand you come encounter with. No, I, absolutely. I mean, every time I see Ron Cooper from Del McGay, he like, he gives me a hug and he's like, you were my first customer. And I was like, what? And he's like, you're the first person that believed in my mezcal. Nobody else would wow. buy it. And I was like, well, because at that point, Mezcal was all with a worm in it. The only Mezcals they sold mm -hmm. had a little worm in it, right? And so I'd see this guy comes into my shop and he's like, hey, man. <laughs> you know, he, I grew up in L.A., so he just reminded me of an uncle of mine. And I was like, oh, this guy's great. And you're just a surfer artist in the 60s that went through Oaxaca and you fell in love with Mezcal. This is wonderful, yeah. right? Yeah. And also it was like Mezcal I had never tasted before. So mm these relationships are yeah it was because of our passion and I, I still like still today you know with new brands that are coming out and I'm like you know 10 15 years from now these people are going to be the same thing like oh my god you were there when we launched this is what we did yeah. this is how we thought mm -hmm. about it um, so it's 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 exciting our industry no matter how big people think it is there's only about a really small I always say like one percent of us that really care that really yeah. are into it that are really nerdy like this right that we get up on a Saturday morning to talk about whiskey <laughs> well um, <it> definitely <laughs> I think everyone's getting a pretty good understanding of your passion for it Dom just I don't uh, get it. talking really with you don't. today uh, I mean I'm not feeding him off it's, drink. it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure yeah um if you haven't already folks go oh, ahead and pour God. yourself a little bit of that Glenlivet um Caribbean Reserve yeah. we'll get into Actually, we, we toasted with that earlier. We did toast with this yeah. earlier today. So we oh, amazing. Our, I like to say that's my, this, my yeah. this is my summer whiskey. Oh, for oh, sure. Nice. That Caribbean oh. Reserve, it is. Yeah, you uh, can't go wrong with this one. You know, so, they, Glenlivet, it was, it was, you know, it was a thing with Glenlivet. When we started in 2016 on the team, you know, we still had the old green bottle. It was still, you know, it was yeah. more about like digging green deep bottle. into the history to make people say, okay. What do you know about Glenlivet? Blah, blah, blah. And then last year or two years ago, we changed the labels, right? So that like, that was a great curveball that helped all of us out that worked for the brand because everyone's like, oh my God, you released all this new Glenlivet. And I'm like, no, <laughs> still the same stuff. New bottles. And now Glenlivet 12 is like one of our top, it, it always has been, but now it's been selling like crazy because people are like, you guys have a double cask out. And I'm like, it's always been double cast. Uh -huh. <laughs> this is the education, but they're, they're being more transparent. Exactly. Yeah. They're being more transparent on the bottle which is great, which is what we want. Um, yeah. And it helps us a lot. You know, I love like the green bottle history. If you guys know that green bottle history, yeah. I'm like, you know, with all the unchill, non-chill filtered, I'm like, but nowadays we don't have to do that anymore, but mm -hmm. it still shows like, you know, for me, there's a, there is still like a, 
core of Glenlivet followers are like, I love that green bottle. And I'm like, well, just keep an old one and fill it up with the new yeah, stuff. You know, you, you still go. have yeah. it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> I'm all, there's bars that do that. So it's not a bad thing. Uh, yeah. You know what? I really love what you shared with us, Dom, is the fact that, you know, you're, your passion for, for for the educational aspect of what we all do in this industry, because ultimately that's our first responsibility is to educate. Um, Absolutely. And one of the things that, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. One of the things that I have had to learn um, within my short career, to all due respect with yours, is how to tell my story better than you tell yours. Because <laughs> I'm ultimately I'm fighting for your spot. I'm fighting for your placement. You know, but when it comes down to fact, you know, the facts and everything, do you find that the generational drinker will continue or will that, mm. you know, um, that generation, again, I say this with a lot of respect, they're dying. <laughs> so, you know, how do you attract the new generation to keep, to pick up that, you know, to pick up where that old generation left off? You know, well, marketing wise, that's a whole different line. thing, but education wise, like while I'm there, if I go to a bar, uh, you know, I went and did a tasting yesterday with a new bar team um, here in San Francisco, another bar called Members Only just opened. Beautiful bar, great, great whiskey bar. program. Great um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and they had a lot of people that were, I would say, have been, I, I would say coming out of COVID, it seems like there's a whole new generation, like yeah, 20 yeah. years younger than me. <laughs> yeah. But it's great, you know, Plus. but I, I'll sit with them and I'll be like, okay, so, hey, listen, um, let's talk about this whiskey. What's the difference between this whiskey and, and the bourbons. And, and I'll give them, and I'm like, you know, it takes three things to make any kind of will for, but three like water, yeast, grain, right? Mm -hmm. So we talk about the grain, you know, I always tell people when we're doing this, I'm like, listen, all of us that are on this right now, we're all professional tasters. We've been eating and drinking our whole life. It's just how we explain it. How do we, what are the words that we use to explain it? Right. So yeah. I always tell them, I'm like, don't be shy. Cause I know when, when I'm going doing these tastings, people don't talk or they will, but it's after I have to coerce them a little. Right. And I'm like, listen, if you think it tastes like a Tootsie pop, say that I know exactly what Absolutely. that tastes like. I know what that flavor profile, if you think it smells like Nestle quick, I get that. I know what you're talking about. Don't Love be shy. Nestle. Everyone has yeah. different things. If you think it, you know, you get these oily notes, what, what do you get? So it's just helping them get a little more, um, confident in this right but it's also keeping that history going right this is a brand that's been around if we're talking if we're talking about either one of them these have been around for 200 years right mm -hmm. 200 years we're actually 200 years 1824 to 2024 so coming up on that that is crazy now what happened during that history that, that this brand is still going strong you know this is a kind of a legacy that you've got to carry on right now with the older generational drinkers that you're saying that are passing away the thing is, is they pass it on to their family. You know, if I, I know from just growing up, my grandfather drank Chivas. And as I learned more about Chivas, like Chivas, they were grocers. They were grocery guys. They owned a grocery store just like just like uh, Johnny Walker, just like yeah, Valentine's. All these guys were grocers. How did they get into blending whiskey? Because they were tea blenders by trade. And they started buying whiskey from their region. So then it was before, like, I was like, oh, Gramps, you like Glenlivet? Or you like Chivas? That means you'll like Glenlivet. Or you'll like McAllen. Or you'll like these lighter space side things, right? So showing him that, him, him being like, oh, wow, you're right. I do like this Glenlivet. You know, it's also helping them mm -hmm. still educate. But at the same time, they're still like, but I do love my Chivas 18. I'm like, so do I. Chivas 18 is yeah. wonderful. I, I understand that. But you're also drinking a certain region. So it's like, hey, I love my Napa Cabs. Why do you like your Napa cabs? Because they're full and fruity and they got those jammy flavors, right? But I don't like that old world, which is great. You don't like that scotch. You may like the bourbon. 
and that's fine. I'm like, you know, there's, I'm sure everyone here likes all kinds of whiskeys, but there are people out there that don't like certain styles of whiskeys and I meet them. And so even, even when they're like, ah, I hate bourbon, I'm like, really? Yeah. All right. But you're drinking, you're drinking George Dickel. So, yeah. you know, you're still kind of <laughs> drinking, bourbon, buddy, you know, you know, so it's, it's all in the education and getting it out there. But, you know, I think it's just, uh, it's just talking with people and especially mm-hmm. with, you know, I say for our ambassadors and bartenders, we're on the front lines, right? The people that we have, to, we have to report to, they have no idea. They want us to hit these certain numbers. They want to do these educations. And I'm like, listen, these people are sick of this highball kind of stuff. They want to learn more about like what they can do. Let them be innovative. Let them have fun with it, right? Don't, yeah. you know, we've, we've gotten out of this, you know, stuffy old man just drinking scotch now. Now yeah. scotch is kind of taken over and it's, it's leading the way. I'm like, we're talking about a summertime scotch right now. Right, right. Um, so. You know, it's it's just talking education, you know, the more the more I can be out there. But it's just I, I always I always love to win people over if there's somebody I love it when someone's negative or they're like, ah, I just don't really like whiskey. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, why don't you like whiskey? Mm. You know, I'm mm. like, if we talk about whiskey, if we talk about aquavit, if we talk about other spirits, just getting them to them to understand what spirits they like. And that's the great thing about some of us that do come from the bar world, because we can talk about other spirits like no other you know so mm, right. that's what i think yeah and exactly same applies to cigar too it's all very regional you may like your robustos i can't smoke a churchill because i ain't got that kind of time yeah um but you know it's if you like the connecticut cut you like that dominican style but yeah it, you're absolutely right i mean it's same thing with 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 wines same thing with beer beers especially yeah um yeah so is that what this whiskey, sorry, Chris, no, um, is that what this whiskey is really this uh, expression trying to do is, you know, you have Glenlivet, which is the number one selling scotch in America. Right. And yes, one of the best selling scotches across the entire world, but this one gives a little bit, it lends itself towards a different audience and lets more yeah. whiskey drinkers come in. You know, with Glenlivet, I always used to say when we started, I, we had just launched founders reserve, which I was like, Oh, that's, that's great. Glenlivet's coming out with something new. You know, yeah. this is awesome because They've just been resting on their laurels, right? And there were a lot of brands that did that. But then there were a lot of progressive brands like Brook Lottie, Highland Park that were releasing, 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 releasing. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> the, you know, why aren't we keeping up? What's going on? And I understand our style, but like, you know, with the laws changing about how we could use different barrels to manipulate our juice, why aren't we doing this, right? And then all of a sudden with Founders Reserve, it kind of just blew up. We had Founders, we had 14-year-old Cognac come out. We had the Naduras. We used different releases with that. And then they were like, hey, listen, we're working on, you know, we were at the distillery. And when we're at the distillery, they'll taste us on new releases or things that are coming out or some things that they just sell at the distillery. And they tasted us on this spirit. And, you know, coming from the rum world, I was like, I know this. I know this smell. I know yeah. this brand. I know this rum. And they were looking at me and they were like, shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say anything. And I was like, OK, all right. Well, you know, yeah. this is wonderful. This is great. What are you doing with it? You know, and with me, I'm like, oh, rum is going to be so delicious with a finish. But like I'm thinking older, not so much yeah. mm-hmm. a younger style. So when they release this, we, we know we talk to them and we talk to them about as much because, you know, Pernod Ricard, we do own a rum company. We own uh, the, the original Havana Club from Cuba. Um, that is stellar. Which we were on the cusp of launching it in the United States. But then you know elections happened and people didn't like the or the cubans so we didn't do it um but all of us everyone that works for the brands are like oh my god is this is this a fan of club finished blend live it and you know the blender sandy high slap and, and when i say 
Sandy is a god amongst whiskey blenders and distillers. He's in charge of not just the Royal Salute, Chivas, Glenlivet, Aberlauer, every single whiskey that we release, he blends and his blending team takes care of. So he's really intense and really awesome and, and very open about what they do. So within our company, no matter if it's Jameson to Jefferson's to Royal Salute, we control all aspects of our wood for sustainability. So we know that the barrels that use at Smooth Ambler, they're either going to go to Mexico to use for Altos mm -hmm. or Avion, or they're going to come to Scotland or to Ireland for our whiskeys. We know how long they've been aged for, what, when they were cut down, all that stuff. So what we did or what they did, they're like, well, Dom, we tasted four different styles of Caribbean rum. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm like in my head breaking that down. And then I'm thinking of distilleries that are kind of like, oh, they got, they have, they have the volume to do this. All right. So I'm like, okay, so are you guys going down there? And like, we did go down there, but it's hot, right? So like scotch aging there, it's going to be crazy, that rum. So what we did is we bought a lot of rum and we shipped it to Scotland and we season our casks. So brand new casks, we season them for two years with this Jamaican rum. Um, I'll give you that much. With, with, this, <laughs> with, the, with this Jamaican rum. Um, and then we put our whiskey, pretty much Glenlivet 12, into this for six to nine months to give it that, what we say, that little sugar cane kiss. Yeah. Um, now, the same thing would be done with the Founders Reserve, except we're using first fill bourbon casts. Mm -hmm. And at that time, when we launched Founders Reserve, we didn't have bourbons at that time. So we were using a lot of Suntory products or bean products. Mm -hmm. um, so it was awesome to do that. And, and listening to them, I'm like, wow, you bought what are you doing with all that? What are you doing? Like everybody asked me, what do they do with that rum? I'm like, they still, they're using it still. They're still using it. Cause they're like, we're going to do other things. We have other brands that we can use. Also they do like special releases just in Europe for like Ballantines. They'll have a Ballantines rum cask. Um, so yeah, that was what they did here with the Caribbean reserve. And I think it for using that Jamaican rum, um, one thing that Jamaican rum has, and it's all beautiful pot still rum, is it has this kind of funk to it, right? Yeah. yeah. Which doesn't really come through too much in this spirit. This is still Glenlivet. Like Glenlivet, which I call my apple juice of all my single malts, um, <laughs> it's going to have the apple. Glenlivet 12 is going to have the apple pear, and that's going to be very light. It's that orchard fruit, right? Now, yep. Glenlivet 12 is always going to start with Oloroso and bourbon cast, first and second fill. So, you know, it's not getting too much like Founders Reserve is all first fill for that finish. So you can see that color coming through um, with these casts. These are American oak. They're American oak that have not been charred. They've been toasted. So mm. not too much is that going to come through. So this is what I get. I get I still get like a honeydew melon. I get like yeah. if you had fresh sugar cane, that smell of it being cracked in front of your face. That's what I get when I taste this. Um, when I first got it, you know, coming from the bartending background as well, I'm like, I'm making a tea punch. I'm making a daiquiri. I'm making all kinds of different drinks. I made a pina coladas with it. And I still do. That's what I tell people. I'm like, you know, the way we have to look at it now is what, with, what we have with the Founders Reserve, because Caribbean Reserve, there's no age statements on this, right? Mm -hmm. So how old is it? Right. And in the last few years, we've learned a lot about like, it's not, especially here in the United States, people think the older the whiskey is, the better it is right. where we know, like it's, it's always going to be that youth. I always give an example. I'm like, if you talk to someone that's in their twenties, they got all kinds of life. They're very, <laughs> they're going out there. I'm like me, I'm 47. I'm no, <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> tired. I'm in my way. So you need some of that youthful whiskey to help bring out some of those older qualities. So I know for us, this is going to go down to 10 years old and up to 12. So it's been right. between 10 and 12 years old. 
um, but beautiful, really nice. You still do get that space side orchard mm -hmm. fruit. You get that light, mm -hmm. that heather, uh, what we call in that area fruity and floral. This is very much fruity and floral, but you're getting some of those, uh, you're getting that, that ripe banana. You're getting some of those tropical notes too that'll come through. So this is really, really awesome. And I'm really happy to start my morning off with this because you know I'm here <laughs> in California, so it's only 11 o'clock for me. So cheers, it's man. a great cheers, pour. Man. Yeah, cheers. Um, Dom, I was remarking in the comments that, and we were kind of talking about this before that, like, there's almost it, like uh, a wine influence to this. Like I get this whiny, like vine, vinous, I don't know how you say that, but, uh, aspect to this whiskey that I just love and find it super refreshing. Yeah. You get that. And you also get a little of that chocolate note from, yeah. and I, that's going to be coming from that Oloroso. So there's still that Oloroso. So, so when I talk about founders or Caribbean, it's that, that rum cask is the third cask. So oh. bourbon Oloroso always to start with Glenlivet 12. And then that third cask would be that yeah. American rum cask. Yeah. And if you're only toasting it instead of completely charring it, you're still getting a lot of that flavor on the inside. And that exactly. acts as a filter with the whiskey as the pours open up and kind of goes into it. Get much more 100%. of that flavor. Yeah. Absolutely. Huh. I was wondering about what your, with your, all your background, um, being a bartender, what you do with this drink, but I guess kind of answered it already in there, but yeah. And like I said, I mean, the way that they drink, uh, scotch in Puerto Rico. And if anybody is on from Puerto Rico, you can tell them, but I mean, it's, main, it's, main, it's mainly, there you go. It's mainly with coconut water or coconut sodas. Oh, they oh, use. So that's cool. Or yes, it is. So it's like the best. Yeah. Oh, that's even better. But yes, yeah. with, with, uh, with coconut water, it's it's actually too easy to drink. It's a poundable thing. Like, you, if, especially if you put it on pebble ice. Oh my god, it's wonderful. Oh, but oh. if you have if you have Lacroix, Lacroix yeah. coconut, that's this La this this sings with that. You know, just oh, oh it's just an easy hot day, nice highball. Um, absolutely. So those notes do come through, and yeah, and in Puerto Rico, they're drinking the hell out of it like that. So I that that kind of is just a way to like inspire. And I always tell people, I'm like, you know, there's other highballs that we can do. You can use the coconut water. You can use coconut soda. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, pine, you know, people, people <laughs> I've got, I, like I, drink it, I just drink it with pineapple juice. Yeah. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that's great. That's absolutely, you know, make a I freaking pina colada. Mm -hmm. And this is like what, like a 32 to $35 bottle, 30, 35, yeah. $35. Yeah. I mean, I depending like for if you're at yeah. Benny's, uh, Benny's, Total Wines, BevMo, uh, depending where you're at. Yeah, I would say 35 to, I would even say a little lower in some places. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, should we jump over and go to some us? Uh, yeah, Irish let's, ooh, my fave. Yeah, I know. It's, this, uh, is, this is uh, near and dear to yeah, me too as well. Like, this is one, one of my favorites. Well, just, I should say the Irish whiskey, but the whole spot lineup. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, we're Incredible. actually celebrating, this is our 135th year of, uh, of bonding whiskey from Mitchell and Sons, which if you don't know what I'm talking about, when you look at any bottle of the spots, and sorry, I got this filter yeah, on. Too. There you go. But right here on the bottom, yeah, a lot of you have the bottle. At the bottom, you'll see that Mitchell and Sons. And Mitchell and Sons is the shop that is the bonders for this whiskey. Um, Mitchell and Sons is still in downtown Dublin. You can still go to their shop. You can still buy wine, spirits, all their good stuff. Um, they started bonding in 1887 and let me explain that for some people that may think that i'm talking about like american style bonded whiskey mm. whole different thing so bonder let's talk about key in the lake key in the lake wants their own barrels of john jameson what they would he do did. is they would ship barrels to john jameson or in our effect um for mitchell and sons we would just take a horse and carriage through the streets of dublin about three uh, about i would say about three quarters of a mile 
to Bow Street Distillery where Jameson was being made. Um, at, at one point, Dublin was the city that made the most whiskey in the world, uh, but a lot of bad things happened in Ireland, so that kind of went down, but I see it coming back. Uh, so you had the Jameson Bow Distillery, Bow Street Distillery. Um, at Jameson, we didn't start bottling our whiskey until the 1960s. So not that long ago either, yeah. like this is still very young. Before that, we just sold it by the barrel, um, which at Jameson we're using at that time in the 19th century, we were still using just mainly sherry barrels. So we would have companies like Gilby and Sons. So Gilby and Sons, they started the Redbreast brand. They were bonders as well. And then you had Mitchell's and then you had probably, we, we dealt with probably about 50 different bonders throughout Dublin and throughout Ireland. So what that meant is like, if Key in the Lake wanted to buy barrels from Jameson, they would send barrels to Jameson. Jameson would fill them up. Key in the Lake would get them back. And then they would age them as long as they wanted and release them how they wanted. They just had to put on the label JJ and S for John Jameson and Son, knowing the distillery it's coming from. So with Mitchell and Sons, with the spot collection going green, yellow, red, blue, um, Green Spot started in 1933. The reason that they named it Green Spot or the Spots is because mainly their employees at the time were illiterate. So the way that they can decipher what was the barrels, they would put a green spot, a yellow spot. Green for Oloroso, yellow spot for Malaga, dessert yes. wine from uh, Spain, and then mm -hmm. red spot for Sicilian Marsala, mm -hmm. and then blue spot for that Madeira. All mm -hmm. right. So that was what they would do. And, and the Mitchells dealt mainly in fortified wines and wines from all over Europe. So they would send these barrels of Oloroso. They would send barrels of port, barrels of Bordeaux. Uh, Jameson would fill them up. Mitchells would then age them pretty much under the streets of Dublin. You can still go to the shop and see kind of their cellars. Uh, and then they would release it as at first it was called JJ and S Green um, coming from Mitchell and Sons. And then in 1933, they made it Green Spot. Um, which you can still find or see some of those older bottles. If you do get a chance over to Ireland, you'll see them in some of the Irish whiskey museums or some of the bars still have the older bottles. Uh, this is pretty much what we launched here. This has been made consistently since 1933 in Ireland and only sold in Ireland up until 2010 until we brought it here into the United States. Um, we brought Green Spot and Red Breast into the United States. Now this was single pot still so for those of you that don't know what single pot still just like here in the united states we can only make bourbon bourbon is our true spirit of the united states like you can make corn whiskey other places just can't call it bourbon uh single pot still is ireland's true spirit and can only be made well it is being made here in the united states but they have to change the law but actually the only true spirit is single pot still so single coming from one distillery our distillery is middleton at the moment or forever um and then it has to be made with malted and unmalted barley made in a copper pot still aged and made in ireland for at least three years for law for 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 single pot still whiskey now why do we use unmalted barley anybody anyone anyone i'm sure you, some of you do know this anyone anyone mainly because of the brits the brits had taxes on malted barley and so the ireland uh, sarah yes. got it thank you sarah um triple distilled yes triple distilled um and I want to say this real quick because we can talk about we can talk about stills and still sizes, but I just want oh, yeah. to tell you Middleton Distillery, which is in Cork in, in the south of Ireland, we started making all these whiskeys in the 1970s. What happened in 1967 is the three families that were remaining in Irish whiskey went from having 200 different distilleries to having three families left in the 1960s. Oh, wow. The Jameson family, uh, John Powers family 
And then the Murphy family. The Murphy family owns Middleton, started Middleton, also Murphy Stout, if you guys know Murphy Stout. Yep. Um, so they started the Middleton Distillery. At that point, Powers was the number one Irish whiskey in the world. It was the one that being most sold. And Powers was also the first one to start blending their Irish whiskey. It took Jameson a few more years until they were like, all right, fine, we'll, we'll blend because they saw what happened in Scotland. Scotland took off and Scotland still has the number one selling blended whiskeys. So what happened is they got together. They said, okay, we're going to put our all of our love and honor behind Jameson. Jameson's going to now be our whiskey that we're going to push. And now Jameson is the number one selling Irish whiskey that there is. Um, but they had to consolidate. So they all closed all the distilleries down in Dublin and moved them all down to Middleton. So at Middleton, up until about five years ago, we were responsible for Jameson, Powers, Tullamore Dew, um, Patty, uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on about all the Irish whiskeys that we make out of our distillery. Now it's mainly just the Middleton whiskeys. So Jameson, Powers, um, the Spots, all the Middleton releases and the rest we've either sold or traded away. Um, but we still do, I, I would say Mid Mid Middleton. So they're, they're still sized, or they're still sized, the three biggest stills in the world, uh, 75,000 liters, um, which would be about 19,000 gallons. Each mm. one of these stills weighs empty, eight tons, eight Damn. tons. Yeah, these, these stills would take all of us that are on this call right now could fit inside one of these stills. People understand. I'm like, <laughs> you know, you, you go to some of these distilleries here in the United States. You're like, oh, that's a big still. That's great. Then you go to Scotland and you're like, oh, Glenn Fittick, you got a big still. Glenn Livett, big still. Glenn Livett still is 15,000 liters, right. 15,000 liters. So that's a nothing. Then you go to Ireland and they're like, hey, hold my beer. And you're, you're literally, you have to like, it's three stories tall. You're standing back about a hundred yards to see them all. They're humongous. Yeah. Right. So it, it, it offers a whole different style, a whole flavor. Um, I say, as they get older, some of those more pot still uh, notes come out, but within the history of pot still this whiskey, why did it go out of flavor? Well, mainly because of what happened with column distillation, column distillation was faster, easier, cheaper to make. This whiskey was heavier, took time. It was passionate. The Irish hated when column distillation was launched. They wrote a book about it called The Truth About Whiskey. If you get a chance, read this book. It's amazing. Uh, but remember, it's written in the 19th century, so it's not so PC. But, <laughs> but you're going to read about it because they're talking about how the romance of how you're filling your pot still, you're cleaning out your pot still. This is real flavor. Mm -hmm. With column distillation, you're just rectifying that spirit, right? And then you're adding flavored notes. So you know, there's great column distillation, but the, the Irish did not want to take it. They stuck to their guns until the 1960s. And they were finally like, all right, we'll blend our whiskey. But now Middleton has been making consistently this, this style of whiskey, pot still whiskey for almost 200 years now. Right. Um, and so Irish whiskey also has the best laws in whiskey. Um, meaning that like, you know, you can make a blend out of single malt and single mm -hmm. pot still like Ryder's Tears. You can do Jameson or Powers, which would be uh, single pot still with grain, or you can do like Tullamore Dew or Lost Irish, which is single malt, single pot and grain. Mm -hmm. um, so, so great, great laws and, and awesome and the way it goes. But this, this is, you know, I always say this was Coke. And then they made that new Coke and everyone was like, <laughs> this new Coke is trash. You know, it's too light. There's no body to it. Um, but yeah, the spots, green spot. I know that some of you have been drinking it already. Yes, you get that. I, I mean, I tell people, I'm like, the easiest way for me to describe it is I'm at a, a carnival and this is a caramel apple. Like it tastes a like a caramel apple. apple. Right now, here, oh. so. 
It's funny you say yeah. that because I was going to say popsicle stick with a candied popsicle stick. Kind of yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have red breast and green spot, right? Both of them are oh, using bourbon. Watch me hear your hands when you say that. <laughs> watch <laughs> them. Both of them are putting uh, Oloroso and bourbon cast, right? Green spot, our blend for that will be about 90% American oak to 10% Oloroso. So what you get in green spot okay. is what you would get in that bourbon, right? That toffee, that butterscotch, that caramel. Mm -hmm. That's right. what we really like, right? And red breast, you're getting that dried fruit, that spice. That's what you're getting. The one thing that they do have continuously, and that's what the pot, the unmalted barley does, the green barley is makes it creamy mm. and gives a touch of like this soft spice. You know, so when you're, you know, when I tell people, I'm like, you know, Jameson is drinking whiskey. This style of whiskey is thinking whiskey. You know, mm. when you drink it, you sip it a little and you're like, oh, wow, this got a lot of flavor. It's oily in my mouth. It's got a lot going on. Nothing wrong with Jameson, but it's just a little lighter in style, right? It's not going to have that nice long finish. It's not going to have that. I mean, Green Spot here in the United States does really well. Uh, this is considered to be the pappy van winkle of irish whiskey in ireland people go crazy over it it does wow, not stay in stock that long mm -hmm. in ireland um and also to let people know that didn't know we do have three different releases or two different releases other than this green spot we have green spot chateau montalena mm -hmm. which is finished in uh beautiful california zinfandel cast from chateau montalena in napa valley and then we also have chateau leoville barton which is a bordeaux style that we do also six to nine months as a finish um that's part of our wine geese program and the wine geese program if you actually travel through ireland and you go to restaurants on their wine list they'll have a section that says wine geese and these are all irish descendants that left uh, ireland during the famine during the war during the revolution that went into other countries and started these wine businesses so leoville barton family mm. from from ireland they started leoville barton um and then we have the Barrett family here in Napa Valley uh, that came and started Chateau Montalena and we're very famous for their Chardonnays and their Zinfandels. But there's some other releases that they'll have in the future too that will work with some of those older wineries or wine companies that came from Ireland or started from families that came from Ireland. Amazing. Well, Dom, I had a whole page of questions here to ask you, but you answered all of them uh, <laughs> kind of within this whole conversation. You're, you're the best interview I think we've ever had on Key in the Lake because we don't have to talk at all. Um, after wow. 180 some episodes. I it, love it. Yeah, this is great. I, and I was going to ask you originally before we even poured a, uh, this glass was, I assume this is one of your favorite whiskeys to talk about because the history that goes behind this one. I mean, mm -hmm. if you've ever been in Dublin, you walk around early in the morning and all those cellar doors are open when everything's getting delivered into the bakeries and uh, to the coffee shops and all the grocers. You can kind of think back to a romantic time when these whiskeys were first starting to be barrel aged down in those cellars. For anyone that's been to the Liberties in Dublin, you absolutely understand that. Yeah. It's so easy to walk around and see, oh, there's, the, there's Guinness. And then right across around the corner from Guinness, you have Teelings now. Yep. And John Powers used to be right there with his distillery, John's Lane. Then around the corner from that, you had Bow Street. So it was all very in this little proximity. And now you see, uh, you know, in the late 19th century, the four big Irish producers was John Jameson, his son, William Jameson, John Powers, and George Rowe. So George Rowe, Rowe & Co., which is now a Diageo product, is also has a distillery opening in that area if they haven't opened it already. 
So it's coming back and that history is it's like exactly it's very it's very awesome to talk about this because this is a part and and with the spot lineup it's a whole different thing right if you like red breast you're going to pretty much like all the releases from red breast or have some that you'll really like right right within the spot some people are like i don't like yellow spot i don't like mm. red spot i'm like listen i understand that these are fortified wines these are all the different styles if you don't understand malaga you're not going to understand this if you don't understand marsala or madeira or get those notes then yeah, and that's that's what makes it unique. But the one thing about it is there's always going to be the green spots, the backbone pretty much to all the spots. So it's going to start just like I said with bourbon and Oloroso. So that yellow spot, that's Malaga, red spot, Marsala, blue spot, Madeira. But these aren't finishes. These aren't aced. They're mm -hmm. just 100% We Green spot doesn't have an age, but I'll tell you the youngest in here is about seven years old. Oldest is about 10. Um, the rest of them are age statements. So in Ireland law is whatever numbers on that label, that's the youngest whiskey in that bottle. Yeah. But the balance is really good because they're all going to be matured to age. So if it's yellow spot, they're all going to be 12 year old barrels at least. And then they're blended together. So it's not like it's just finished in a Malaga cast. That's not it at all. Right. So for people, I always tell too, if you're going from a, a green spot, which is at 40%, and then you go to the sweet spot, which would be yellow spot, red spot, blue spot, well, blue spots cast rank, but the rest of them are 46%, which for me, that's the sweet spot. I think that's mm -hmm. all the whiskeys that are coming out are wonderful. And we're actually this next week releasing gold spot. Ooh. Oh, Ooh. Breaking, Ooh. News. Breaking, news. breaking news here first. All right. Uh, and don't yell at me or don't ask me where to get it because I can barely get a bottle. <laughs> it takes so long for me to get it. It sucks. But Gold Spot is going to be also bourbon and Oloroso to start, but also adding two more barrels. So we're adding Bordeaux and Port. Oh. Um, and this is for our 135th anniversary. So we started bonding at Mitchell and Sons in 1887. This marks our 135th year. So this is a nice release that they're doing. And that one will come in at 51.4%, 102.5. So really delicious, really nice. It's going to be, you know... I know it's released for the anniversary, but if, you know, I now remember when they released Yellow Spot and they're like, eh, it's not going to be around for a long time, but it ended up, you know, it's a permanent addition. I mean, so, <laughs> so I hope the Gold Spot stays around and I'm liking that they're keep on going. Cause like when they released Yellow and we're like, is Red ever going to come? Blue? And they're like, no, nah, yeah. The thing is, Mitch, <laughs> Mitch, Mitchell still owns a part of the brand. So they're very much involved with what right. goes on with this brand. Whereas Redbreast, we bought, or Pernod Ricard bought Red Breast from the Gilbies in 1992 um, and brought it back to where it is now. Uh, but also in the history of pot still, because you'll see like, all right, so for our company at Middleton, we own the oldest uh, stock of any pot still whiskey. After us, you'll have Dingle, which I think now they just released a six-year-old. Mm -hmm. uh, Teelings is about four or five years old. Um, you'll, you'll have a few others that are going to be, you know, by law, it has to be at least three years old. So a lot of them are just releasing. Right. When I started with the company in 2016, there were four distilleries in Ireland. When I went back a couple of months ago, there were 39. Right. Wow. Yeah. Now, it's, all yeah, of them it's... aren't making whiskey, not necessarily, but most of them are. And most of them are doing pot still or single grain or single malt because in Ireland, they all kind of thrive. Right. Um, what I think Ireland has ahead of us that no other country has is, you know, in Scotland, it has to be aged for three years in oak. In Ireland, three years in wood, any kind of wood. So we have <laughs> we have hickory, we have chestnut, we have cherry trees, we have Hungarian oak, we have we, we have Irish oak. Um, yeah, it's going. They're going nuts. Which I'm like the corn whiskey that they're making in Ireland right now. Which you know, 
to our bourbon mm-hmm. can be aged in these certain barrels. So I think right. this is where it's going to thrive because I think that palate, it hasn't been, you know, like tasting a bourbon that's aged in a Tokai barrel. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. they have this freedom to do that kind of stuff, which is very exciting. Um, it's a very exciting thing. And within our distillery, we have this small micro distillery called Method and Madness, where we do releases like that, where you can okay. find some single malts or single pots or single grains aged in some of those styles of oak or wood, I should say. Well, Dom, I think this has been a great education for all of us here today uh, yeah. about not just uh, the scotch and about Irish whiskey, but kind of about the U.S. in general, where we started to see this whole cocktail and whiskey scene develop over the last uh, 20, 15 to 20 years. And where we're really at now, kind of into it, where you mentioned earlier about how these distilleries are growing up here in the U.S. and we're experiencing them. So we have the history with the Glenlivet and the spots right here. Yeah. Then go back to Castle and Key and the brands we have ahead of us today that we're, we're seeing a full kind of spectrum of where distilling has been, yeah. where it's where it's kind of been in the last 20 years and then where it's going to. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. Like I said, I mean, I could talk all day about this. This is, yeah. uh, Thanks, I love Dom. this stuff. Thank you guys so much. Everyone, thank you very much. If you have Cheers, any man. questions or want to want to uh, follow my adventures, I'm at Single Malt Dom on Instagram. Um, otherwise, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.